We're back here to the Neil Haley Show on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? Uh, I'm great. Uh, you were celebrating, right, for a couple yeah, weeks? Yeah, I had a grandson uh, get married, one of seven, wow. uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Good to be in Nashville. Owned a lot of property there, lost a lot of money there, and I have a lot of family there. <laughs> so you're back, and we have some great guests. Introduce our guest today. Devon Fallon Hogan. Great How are guest. you? I'm good. How you doing? Good. Stars Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, I was going to introduce you, but why don't you quickly tell us some of your accolades so we know who we're talking to or the audience does. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll tell my <laughs> resume. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I've, I've been in this business for a million years. I was on Saturday Night Live, Seinfeld, Men in Black, Forrest Gump, you name it. A lot of Lars von Trier movies, Dancer in the Dark, Dogville. But now I've written a movie called Rushed, which is coming out today. All right. And you'll be in theaters all over the country. Yeah. Impressive resume. Thank you. I I know it's her pressing resume, but she wants to do some comedy. So let's talk. What came first? SNL? Was I mean, like, how did did that happen? Well, I, I, I did a lot of theater and I moved to New York City. I'm from upstate New York, which Rushed is based on a woman from upstate New York. And I went down to New York. I had no skills whatsoever. I did some summer stock theater and I was ready to quit the business. And my father said, why don't you come home and do dinner theater? I was like, what? And then this friend of mine said, there's an, there's an uh, audition at this uh, improv comedy club. So I got in and the director said, why don't you write a one person show? So I said, all right, I'd never written. And so I did. And I put it on at West Side Arts Off-Broadway Theater, and I rented the lobby out because theaters are dark on Monday nights and Sunday nights. So people thought I had an Off-Broadway one-woman show, and I handed out the tickets, I mean, the, the flyers at TKTS, and I got great reviews. So I brought it to LA, did it in LA, and Seinfeld came, and SNL came, and I got on those shows, and that opened a ton of doors for me. Wow. Okay. So I want to go SNL and I, I'm sure Dave, you have answers, uh, questions on Seinfeld. So SNL, tell us specifically once you had that opportunity, some of the things that we can remember from SNL. So I, mainly what people would know me from SNL, I was one of the Delta Delta girls, Delta, 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 can I help you, help you, help you. And so <laughs> that was, and I did a lot of, oh, I, Chris Rock used to say, call me judgy because they always made the, me the judge, judgy wudgy. But I was on with Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and David Spade. And that was the that was the um, Wayne's World years. I was very good friends with Chris Farley, Adam Spade or Adam and David are still friends. Um, Ellen Cleghorn was my roommate. She's still a great friend. So, you know, it was great. I mean, it was it was, you know, the, what, what I'd hope for as a, as a comedian. And then I was lucky because I did Shakespeare in the Park that summer. I was Phoebe and As You Like It in Central Park in New York City and a casting director who was very sophisticated. A.B. Kaufman saw me and she said, Siobhan, I think you can do more than comedy. And I was like, you think? So um, she had me audition for um, Lars von Trier, who's a very well-known European director. And my daughter Bernadette was a very difficult child. She had ear infections all the time. So I was up all night with a baby and I was able to cry and come in during the audition. <laughs> so I've done three movies with Lars. I did Dancer in the Dark that won the Palm Door with Bjork. I did Dogville with Lauren Bacall and Nicole Kidman, and I just did um, The House of Jack McDillon. So when I wrote Rushed, my movie, I sent it over to Denmark and they loved it. And they said, we want to co-produce. So I was like, oh, maybe this is good. So I called up my yeah. good friend, Robert Patrick from The Terminator and Walk the Line and many, many movies to play my husband. He said, I'm in. 
Jake Weary from Animal Kingdom. He plays the bad boy frat boy and Perry Gilpin from Frasier. And so that's how it all happened. Awesome. You are well connected, young lady. Well, I've been (laughs) around the block. And, you know, I treat people. I treat people the way I want to be treated when I'm on a set or as a friend. And so, you know, when I called up these big high rollers who make a lot of money a week, I, um, they, I was like, Robert, what do you think? He's like, Siobhan, I love the script. And he's like, I'm all in. And I was like, how much do you want to make a week? $2 or $2 and 50 cents. And then he (laughs) said, I I love the script. I'm in. So actually his mom is going to be seeing the movie tonight in Cleveland. And, um, we have a big surprise for her out there tonight when she goes to see the show. Wow. So what, what, when you were younger, what did you feel like you were going to do? Was it comedy? Was it theater? Was it musical? Was it writing? I mean, well, where, did I, you, where did you first get your first clue? I'm you one were a of, talented person. I'm one of five and I'm from a big <laughs> Irish Catholic family. And, and my parents didn't really, um, well, they cared about our grades, but they cared more if we were funny. So I remember one time I came home from college, I had a really bad grades and I was like a D in astronomy and, you know, maybe, maybe my, my best grade was like a C. And I was like, and my, my friends were like, you're gonna be in so much trouble. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't have gone out so much. And so I, I said to my father, I got a D in astronomy. And he's like, Shivani, and look at, I just ate two and a half pieces of pie. Now there's a lot of the pie left over. There's 65% of the pie. Look how much pie there is. D's not bad in astronomy. Who knows about the stars? So anyway, my family really loved funny and they love stories. We were big storytellers. So I kind of, you know, I did stage first and comedy was my kind of thing. I never did stand up, but I trained, I got my master's in fine arts and acting from Catholic university, which has a very good program. Susan Sarandon went there, John Voigt, John Slattery, um, a lot of great actors. I, I had this training, but I was pegged. I was pegged to be comedic only. And when I got this break with Lars von Trier, that opened up a lot of doors. And I, then I got the negotiator and I did a lot of serious movies after that. So I was able to make that cross. Wow. Very impressive. So let's go to SNL and your experiences with Chris Farley. We're interested in hearing about that. Okay. So Chris, I just feel so honored and blessed to have known him and have him be my friend. He and I, from very similar backgrounds, I'm, my husband at the time, I just started to date. He was a New York rugby player. He worked on Wall Street. He lived a block from me. Chris and I would go, we'd go to the parties. And afterwards, I'd be like, Chris, I really like this guy. He's really nice. And he's like, Sean, we're going to, what's his apartment number? Come on, let's find him. Let's go to his building. And so we'd go with David Spade. Chris and I would go and like five o'clock in the morning, because the parties at SNL didn't start till one. And we, he'd ring the buzzer. Come on, Peter, you fat bastard. Wake up. Sharon's a catch. Come on, open the door. So he was instrumental in me meeting my husband. Then we also went to, we both went to Holy Trinity um, Catholic Church together at night on Sunday nights. And, you know, the par- sometimes the, p- the parties would go a little wild. And you see Chris going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But he was such a great guy. And um, when he, after he passed, I remember there was a memorial for him. And you'd think there'd be like, you know, some star up there giving the eulogy. And the memorial service this was though, actually. And up was a shut-in who he had visited and brought meals to. He was a great person, you know, with, with, with a rough, terrible problem. And my movie actually touches on something similar in that the family, when, when horrible things happen to funny people, to me, that's particularly sad and even more sad because you don't expect kind of the, the funny ones to have that much trouble. And when they do, how do they handle it? 
And, you know, I saw Chris go through a lot and, you know, he suffered a lot, but his funny was so funny. I mean, it's like that those two extremes, you know? So I was really lucky to be his pal. And I got to tell you, like Adam Sandler and David Spade, they've been so supportive of, of my movie Rushed. And I'm forever grateful to SNL. And Lorne Michaels put me in Baby Mama years after, you know, when I was, I was a birthing specialist with, with, with Tina Fey. I was like, okay, Quash, we're going to talk about birthing a baby. <laughs> awesome. Tell us about your Seinfeld times. Seinfeld was unbelievable. So what, interestingly, so I remind was, us about the character. Remind us about the character. I was Elaine's roommate. I was Tina, Elaine's roommate. Before Seinfeld, right? No, yeah. during Seinfeld. No, during I remember Seinfeld. it completely, and now you're giving no, no, me. No, on the show, I was Elaine's roommate. And the, oh. first, the, fir the first time I was on, they were just starting up, and they didn't know if they were going to get picked up for the second season. And then I was Kramer's girlfriend, the African dance, and then I did another one where, I, where Elaine was getting kicked out of the building. I was like, that's, I can't let people into the building. That's why there's a buzzer. So I had <laughs> yes. this character. Yes. When I first got on the show, Larry David called me up after we had done, you know, re rehearsed for a couple of days. In TV, you have to get everything down into 22 minutes so that it's a half hour show because the commercial time. Sure. And he's like, Siobhan, we got to cut your, I thought he was going to say, you go, we got to cut you out. But he said, we have to cut your part down a little. And I was like, oh, that's no problem. So I, I was an actress on it. That was my part. And I was like, oh my God, I had the best. I couldn't have talked slower. I was like, well, if my part's cut down, I'll just slow down my part. Wait, there's a bottle of water here. Actually, I was like, hi, Ellen. Hi, Jerry. And then they had a straw, but I was like, <laughs> anyway, I took the longest sip in the history of man. And I talked so slowly that my part equaled the same amount. That's called milking it as an actor, or they call it chewing the scenery. So anyway, <laughs> it was, it was fab fabulous. And then when I went back for the fifth season, I was supposed to do another one, but I couldn't because of SNL. But when I went back the third time, they were on top of the world. So it was, and then they never changed. They were just great people who worked hard, loved their, loved what they did. And obviously it was genius. I can't believe you've never done stand-up. Uh, no. Did it is? is it scary? Of course it's scary. I, it's a totally different ballgame. I'm, I'm an actress. I like to hide behind characters. I don't like to stand up and be myself and tell jokes. Because if you stand up and tell a joke and it bombs, you can't blame it on you. If you're, if you're a character, you can hide behind the character. You know? I'm, I mean, that, it's a totally different deal. I think you should do it. You can, can do, do a whole routine right, of characters. All the characters you've ever done. I know, but if people don't laugh, you, what do you see my movie? It's a revenge thriller. And when things don't go her way, she has a slightly bad temper. So what if I went after the audience and be like, hey, you didn't laugh at my jokes. Come over here. You think, you know, let me talk to you. See, That's I love you right there. It's always going back to that. But there's so many different experiences to talk about, Dave. And, and, and see, I know exactly who she's talking about now because of the Seinfeld. Everyone remembers Seinfeld characters. It's like the, the thing that no one forgets a Seinfeld character. I interviewed the soup Nazi. I've oh, yeah. yeah. And he's, he was phenomenal. Uh, you know, um, Mr. Peterman, I've interviewed like, or not Peterman. No, you did the one, you know, the one from the dog show. It'll come to, uh, uh, 
Oh, John O'Hurley. I've interviewed. Oh yeah, yeah. I've interviewed multiple times for the for the dog show. But those Seinfeld characters or the Red Ribbon. They, you are on one time Seinfeld. People aren't going to forget your character forever. Do you agree with that? When you start saying Seinfeld, and then you tell the story, and they'll well, say, "Oh, I remember." I was lucky to do three of them. I was supposed to do the fourth. And my son recently said to me, mom, you should do cameos. I'm like, what is a cameo? So I was like, all right, let's give it a whirl. So we're, we were on this road trip and he, he signs me up for cameo and two minutes, seconds later, it's like, ding. And I'm like, oh no, I look, I'm like wearing like my husband's t-shirt. I have no makeup. And it's like, do a cameo. And they're like, could you please do Seinfeld when Elaine gets kicked out of the building? And everybody wants, not everybody, a lot of people like to see men in black or Forrest Gump or holes or different things, but a lot yeah, of people say- you gotta, We have so many things, you remember holes, again, another great movie. Yeah, so yeah. Okay, okay, good, good. So I was like, they always wanna say, that's why there's a buzzer. No, but holes, they like me, you know, Henry Winkler and I did the dance, they know like, I don't smell anything. So people like that, and, and you know, of course they always love men in black. And then, I don't know, there's all kinds of different things, but you know, be, because of my um, experience being in this business so long, when I went, and did my movie rushed, which notice how I keep circling back to that. I love it. You're you doing the tactic? same thing I had. I'm like, I had Seinfeld rushed. I had rushed Seinfeld. And he did the same thing going back to see him, his MSNBC thing. We were trying to talk Shark Tank, but Mr. Wonderful, and he just kept coming back. So you're doing the same strategy that he's doing. No, That's okay. He, my father was a lawyer. He used to call those people double talkers. He's like, Siobhan, that person's a double talker. So that's like a crazy person. No, but I wanted to say, because of all my experiences working on these different shows, I mean, that's how I met Perry Gilpin from, from Frasier. I did a play with her. So, you know, all these people that you meet along the way, you know, you kind of connect the dots and then it all kind of works out, you know? Um, but, and, and then the social media thing is so huge. Like Jake Weary's in the movie, you know, he's huge in Animal Kingdom. Adam Sandler, David Spade, I'm like, guys, I don't even know what tweeting is. I was like, you need to retweet this thing that my son did. And like, Siobhan, we're all in. Like, they're so supportive, you know? That's great. All right. I love you going back each time. And I'm going to take you back again. So let's go 30 Rock now. What was your character on 30 Rock? 30 Rock, I played Alec Baldwin's sister. And I was Molly Shannon's sister. And that was crazy because my own daughter in real life, there was like a camping trip and I'm not outdoorsy at all for the school. So I don't know why I volunteered and I got pneumonia. And so I was supposed to play like a, like a big drinker sister. So when I, on the show, I, I had like this cough that sounded like an alcoholic because I had pneumonia. I was like, Ugh. but anyway, it was a riot. I love being on that show. What about Men in Black? Men in Black was unbelievable. Barry Sonnenfeld, one of the greatest directors of all times. And, you know, it was with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, Vincent D'Onofrio. And I, I mean, it was just incredible. I honestly did for that show an imitation of someone I knew from Syracuse. I was like, I had no expression. And I was like, Edgar, your skin is falling off your bones because there was a girl from Syracuse who talked like that. And I was like, just did an imitation of her. And Barry's like, I love it. Let's do it. Yeah, you can't make up stuff like that. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to another question. So Dave, I guess you did the last question. So you, you've circled us back six times to the movie, but we're going to get to that. Rushed? Yes. Don't worry. We are going to talk about Rushed. Rushed that's coming out today in theaters across the country. And it's also going to be on Apple, iTunes, and Amazon, and all video platforms. And please come support us. It's fabulous. And our reviews have been unbelievable. You got to go on filmthreat.com. You got to go on Rotten Tomatoes. We've had our, it's been off the charts. If you like thrillers, go. All How right, much so can you tell us without giving it away? Well, I'm going to tell you that there's two audiences for this film. 
there's kids going into college and college kids, and there's the parents who sit in their beds, sick to their stomachs, worried about their kids because we have these things called cell phones. And we're like, hey, make good choices while you're in college. Just let me know you're in safely. Okay. Um, then two o'clock in the morning, hey, mom again, don't mean to bug you. Want to give you some freedom, but let me know. And you sit in bed and you're in the fetal position and you're like, my God, my kid's probably dead. So this was from me sitting in bed. I have two daughters and a son, many nights worrying. Many moms do this. Your kids go off to college. In the movie, I have four kids. The oldest boy goes off to college. The mother harasses the kids on the way to school. She's like, call your brother, Jimmy. They're like, mom, you're harassing him. I'm like, all right, either call him and pull those skirts down because you look like hookers. Or I'm telling you right now, if you're ugly on the outside, I mean, ugly on the inside, pretty on the outside, no one likes you. Now call your brother. Anyway, so she harasses him. But then something horrible happens. And this mom at the beginning of the movie is praying and she's swearing at the same time because the kids are late for school and the sandwiches she's making are all messed up. So she's this frantic, faithful mom with a lot of humor. And when the horrible incident takes place, her faith and her humor get her through. But she's a different person because she never expected to be out in the limelight. And I have this fabulous editor. I did this Johnny Depp movie called The Professor. And my director, Vibika Musaya, who's fantastic from Denmark, she said to me two days before the film was over, ending, we're driving upstate New York to get the foliage scenes. Siobhan, we have an A-list film and we don't have an A-list editor. And I was like, wait, I know one. Sabina Miliani. She edited and she said to me, Siobhan, let me tell you something. When you do a thriller, you must always be one step ahead of the audience. Every time they think they have it figured out, you twist and turn, twist and turn. So this movie, when you see it, and as the reviewers are saying, you will be on the edge of your seat in the fetal position because Love you don't that. know what's happening next ever. And Robert Patrick hits it out of the ballpark. So does Jake Weary. So does Perry Gilpin and Rusty Schwimmer. The cast is unbelievable. Wow. So, I, so, so, so I, I love this promotion, but I'm going to go back to like when I always talk to people is you, you're giving us the pretty much that just how, why did you do it? What made you want to well, put this together? I had written one, several one woman shows over the years. And about four years ago, I said to myself, if I can do a one person show, why can't I write a film? Because I've been in the industry long enough. So I have a friend who's a producer and he said, and he's a writer. And he said, Siobhan, just write. But when you write, don't judge the end. Don't judge any of it. Just start writing. And, you know, as a mom and with kids that are teenagers, when they start going out, when they're like 15, you're just worried all the time. And so I spent many a night in my bed worried. And that's where it came from. Yeah. I have three daughters. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. My father used to say, I like kids, just not from 15 to 25. <laughs> you got that right. So, but they're, but because, the, you know, this whole college thing, when they go off um, and you have too much contact with them, it's almost worse because when you don't have the contact, you worry sick. And now with colleges, when they change that drinking age, you guys know when we went to college, it was beer. Now it's all hard liquor and it's Russian roulette when you're drinking hard liquor. Yeah. And also in any institution, whether it's a sorority or a frat or a, a, any, any job, when, when the leader is hip and cool and good looking and tough, 
and they have a, some sort of a charm that people follow them. But in your gut, you're like, I don't like that guy or that girl. You got to have the guts to get out and do the right thing. Don't follow the leader because you're, you know what I mean? Because everybody else thinks you're cool. And there's a message in this. The humor and the faith gets you through. And when you're in a bad situation, you do the right thing by your friend. And if it becomes, if the right thing is to call 911, you better do it. Or someone might find you. Because hell hath no fury like a mother scorned. You have ha you've gone through every characters and it's just amazing how many characters. That's why you've done a one woman show. One other person I've interviewed that's done a one woman show is Kat Kramer. Back in the day, Kat, she's really good at Catherine Kramer again. Uh, late father was Stanley Kramer and yeah. she does those one woman. I've talked to other people. So you could do a, you did a one woman interview just now. You've asked yourself questions. And it's clever. Yeah. I, 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 Lily Tomlin and I worked together years and years ago. And of course, I was a massive fan of Lily's. And I saw her show on Broadway. I've saw her show a couple of times. And that's, she was a big influence. And, you know, I always tell young actors, like, if you are frustrated with where your career is at, pick up a pen and start writing. If you write your own show, no one can stop you. Right. And, and you then that now you created your own feet, your own film. So there you go. Yes, you know, there one you go. So, okay. All right. Dave is going to ask the final question before sure. we find out where we can find the film. Cause he's a caregiver and we'll sure. find out why he's a caregiver. Go ahead, Dave. I'm a caregiver. My wife had a stroke 25 years ago and oh. she lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. A couple of years. Oh. Years of grieving was miserable. But then she reinvented herself. She decided, you know, she was going to do everything she did before with one arm and no speech. And now she's amazing. She's like a Martha Stewart Wonder Woman uh, rolled into one. And we've been going through this for 25 years. So I realized that, hey, you know, if I could just uh, communicate to other caregivers, because I didn't know what I was doing, right. all the mistakes I made. So I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. Been on television 50 times, did some interviews, spoke all over the world, going to London uh, on the 12th of uh, this month, going to speak at the... Uh, Oh, he's freezing London again. Stock Exchange. Yeah. Uh, get my picture with Nigel Farage. My question to you, and I've got a website, caregiverdave.com. Yes. And uh, four books. Yes. I'd like to say that, that you know, if you don't think you're going to be a caregiver, just wait. It's inevitable. It's going to happen to everybody. So Dave, now's the time to prepare, not after tragedy strikes like I did. You don't know what you're doing. You don't have to scratch your head. I, I want to tell you that I think what you do is unbelievable. And I want to call you a saint because... My mom just passed at 96 years old and it's so hard to find great caregivers. And my sisters were unbelievable. One of them moved in with her. They're from upstate. We all took turns, but there was two women who we knew and they, we knew they were caregivers and they would come in and they're little, they're saints. And what an important, important role in life. That's why I always say like being an actor or actress, people think that's so great. And but the truth is there's so many more important roles and you're the one who deserves an Academy Award and you're the one who deserves a star on the sidewalk because holy cow, that's unbelievable. And your wife is incredible. <laughs> every that's, caregiver. That's Thank really some, every caregiver. It's, it's beautiful. So again, check out caregiverdave.com. Now we have talked about the film. Where can people watch it right now? Okay, so they got to Google. If they're in your town, there, it's in many, many towns and cities all over the country. If it's not in your town, you go to at Rushed Movie on our Instagram or on our Facebook, but you can also just watch it on iTunes, Amazon, Apple. 
and you can download it right now. I've already had people that have downloaded it and been watching it for breakfast. I don't know what's going on, but it is, where do you guys live? I'm in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh and LA. Okay. So just, I don't think it's in LA. It's in Riverside, California, Pittsburgh. We just interviewed with the Pittsburgh city press. So they, I know there's some theaters there that want to get it, but it's all over Florida. It's all over Boston and New York and New Jersey and South Dakota and Arizona, many, many theaters. If it's not in your theater though, download it and watch it and please support us because independent movies really need your support. Yes. Thank you, both of you. And God bless you for being a caregiver. I think that's incredible. And I, can, I can download it from, I can download it from Amazon. Amazon, iTunes, Apple, and several other platforms. And I honestly only knew what platform shoes were till about two weeks ago when Vertical Entertainment told me, said, make sure you mention the platforms. Okay. That's fantastic. Everyone needs to check it out. Appreciate it. And uh, where are you on Instagram? Where can we? At Rushed Movie. All right. Awesome. We appreciate you. Thanks Thank you so out. much. God bless. All right. That was the Neil Haley show, you guys. Take care. Everyone, and welcome to the COVID-19 vaccine show. I'm excited to welcome to Dr. Mark Hayden. Dr. Mark, you know, it's just crazy. Your predictions were all right, completely. It's, it's unbelievable to know that they're going to push restrictions again, and we might go back to where we were before. You know, I, I don't, I hope that doesn't happen in the United States. There are areas where people do not have immunity and there are areas where uh, isolation until some, they have some form of inoculation or vaccination would be appropriate. But let's, let's just look at our current condition, okay? Um, we've been talking for the past several weeks about how the highly transmissible variant has swept across the United States, and indeed it has. In fact, it swept through Missouri. It was documented in the sewer systems across Missouri beginning in the middle of June, and it only took a couple of weeks to, to really go across the state. So it's almost been about seven, eight weeks that Missouri has had this invisible cloud of exhaled virus floating through the air. And as that virus floated through the air, people were not wearing masks. And yet what we see is that the death rates in Missouri are not going up. In fact, the death rates re remain very, very low. And we'll look at those in just a second. So we want to be able to rationalize how can two events occur? The release and widespread dissemination of a highly transmissible variant in Missouri with a very low death rate. Though that is not really candidly discussed on CNN, it's not discussed in the halls of no. Congress or it's not discussed anywhere else, but it is discussed here. And to really bring those things home, we'll actually hopefully in this brief 30 minute or so um, telecast or podcast actually let you witness me consuming uh, SARS-CoV-2. Now, anytime I consume SARS-CoV-2, it is not something that I grew in the lab. I don't culture that virus. Healthcare professionals are allowed to collect specimens and people are allowed to donate their biological specimens. You're allowed, for instance, to donate your blood. Right. What you don't realize is, have you donated blood, Neil? 
not one. I've been give. I give him blood before, but no, I've never done any blood. You know a lot of people who have, though, right? Right. Exactly. Yes. There's not. It's not a crime. It's not a. It's not. Now, are medical people required to receive that blood? Pretty much. You know, when you donate it at the blood bank, most of the people are medical people. Anytime you deal with a live virus, only licensed medical people should be involved. Only people that are highly educated and know the risk and, and benefits they're, they're taking. These things that you might see on this program that involve live virus are not to be done by amateurs. They're not to be done by unlicensed personnel. So that having been said, and this is not give you the authority to imitate any of these practices or do them. And, you, and of course, it would be negligent and, and fear provoking ever do these on other people without their permission. So we don't in any way condone anything like that. But let, let's just talk about, let's, now let's go to talk about Missouri. Let's look at our coronavirus case. Total coronavirus cases in the world about, this says $191 million, uh, $191 million. Uh, Really, there's like 7 billion people. Coronavirus in, in one variant or another has been around a year, year and a half far more than 191 million people have actually had it. Many, many more, probably a bit, it's in the billions more than likely. A lot of those people, if you don't get symptoms, you don't go get tested. It doesn't mean that it's not growing in your intestines. We said this over a year ago. Did Fauci ever tell the American public that it grows in their intestines and often grows asymptomatically? He didn't, did he? No, but that's OK. You know, maybe he has a need to know basis. Maybe he's on his own top secret stuff. Maybe we don't have an open, transparent but, government. In but the United States. I think that they want to go down the route of if they'd use the vaccine, even though it's not foolproof, if you can get everyone vaccinated, it's the safest thing. That's the narrative going all over the world. And anytime they see spread, they blame it on Don people that are not willing to get the vaccine. Now. Every, every community is a separate choice. For instance, in North Korea was one of the most isolated countries in the world. China has very rigid standards. You don't get into China if you're carrying a positive uh, uh, variant. Right. They do extremely tight testing. That means that most of the population in China and in North Korea or have no immunity and no immune exposure at all. That's zero, okay, zero exposure. It's not been on their food. It hasn't been in their drink. They haven't got it accidentally in their mouth. They've never seen it before. So if you took a highly transmissible variant that I will be swallowing over here in just a minute, if they took that and inhaled it to their lungs in North Korea, it would become rapidly transmissible through the air and many, sadly, very sadly, many North Koreans would die. Wow. Probably that would be the expected outcome. And that is certainly not what I would want. And I would never. However, if you're North Korea, what you need is, a, or if you're China, you need a rapid method of inoculating all your population so that as they inhale these transmissible variants, they won't get sick. So what was the oral vaccine that saved the U.S.? Which one was an oral vaccine that no, saved? No, they had Vaxart. No, not, Vaxart. not, I'm talking another pandemic. 
not pandemic, another disease. Okay, oral polio virus, for instance. Exactly. So why are they mentioning polio? Dr. Anthony Fauci talking about people all took the polio virus. The vaccine. If he, they, I expect that they will be forced to go to an oral vaccine. Vaccine. So what does that mean for yours? What does that mean for yours? Then that means you can. Okay. Really, my vaccine has been was originally the community variant. I asked for uh, live coronavirus from the CDC after the pandemic occurred and had already released it in the community. The CDC would not come. They just won't provide it to you, even if you're a medical provider. So when I obtained my uh, coronavirus, it was from the community. And that's that I had access to that to people who donated it to me. So I was able to take it and inoculate my intestinal tract. I inoculated it orally. You can you can have multiple different methods, but orally is is appears to be a very safe and effective method. It was never picked up, even though it was presented to Operation Warp Speed. Operation Warp Speed chose to go with the big money ideas and go with classic intramuscular immunization using uh, Pfizer and Moderna. And Pfizer and Moderna really wrote their own research, were able to write their own rules. And even writing their own rules on their own research, they got total civil immunity from all civil prosecution. Things that I never got in my medical career. in, In 30 years of medical practice, I never had total civil immunity for the way I treated people. Never. And, and neither has anybody in your community except, with one exception, your local, state, and federal judges get immunity. You can't do anything to them. They're so, above so, the law. Yeah. Yes. But, but so, at any rate, that's another, you know, that's another issue. So the so interesting, interesting things that we're talking to Dr. Mark Hayden about this today here on the COVID-19 vaccine show. So, uh, so, so, so basically, it. the oral vaccine, if it becomes, can you be part of the process? Can you no, help a, the rest of absolute, the world? Absolutely. You are, I expect that within a few months, certainly by the end of the year, you will see oral live vaccine being delivered either or else there'll be a, uh, what do you call it? Um, just a ground, it, it, because there's so much of it available in the community, it will become a standard practice to use an oral vaccine. Either it's going to be p- provided by the government, by industry, or the local physicians in that community that are threatened are going to go out and get it and use it for themselves. That's what's going to happen. The, the physicians that watch this video, if they're licensed, are they licensed to collect blood? Yes, they are. Are they licensed to collect sputum and do a, do a throat swab? Yes, they are. Are those physicians often in countries? Even North Korea has their own physicians. I've been, you know, they have a hospital. They have doctors. They could they could apply oral inoculation, oral vaccination using live virus next week. And it'd probably be the smartest move they could make. Then they could open up their tourism trade in North Korea. One of the things that North Korea has been devastated economically is they built tourism around trade from Chinese communists coming over and visiting their country. And now they can't invite all these tourists in without worry that their entire economy is going to be exposed to this, these new variants. They need to get very rapid, and I've been very rapid, oral inoculation going in North Korea. 
or as they choose to be called, the DPRK. So whether it's China or whether it's North Korea or whether it's some of these highly isolated states. Right. Now, you, could, you also can watch the Olympics. Look at the, the, they haven't opened up Tokyo. Guess what? Tokyo was still isolated so far as uh, big, big uh, events. And I think you're going to see, I, I haven't seen, uh, I don't really watch the Olympics that much, but you know, you're not going to see these 10,000 people gathering all together in Tokyo. They're worried about the population of Japan not having immunity. The fastest path, the safest path to immunity is through the intestinal tract. Okay, so let's talk yeah. about the stuff you have on, online now. Let's take a look at that. Okay, now let's look. All right, look, here we go. Coronavirus cases. That's real numbers way, way higher than that. And we see, is, is the daily desk going away? No, but it's down sag. This is worldwide. That's worldwide, okay. Yeah. Now let's go to, we have been talking on this program about US. Missouri. And Missouri, Missouri yeah. is not a small case number. Missouri is a fairly large, it's like 6 million people in Missouri. The Missouri population only had about 40% of the people fully vaccinated. It was one of the worst vaccinated places. So let's go down and I want to look at my report from yesterday. Hold on. Missouri should be, there's Missouri. Come on, Missouri. Okay, there we go. All right, there's Missouri. Now, you see the total coronavirus cases in Missouri? Keep going up. Mm -hmm. Okay, now new, new cases in Missouri. Are they going up in Missouri? Yes. Yes. So what do you call a case? What you call a case in Missouri is where somebody has had a positive. Uh, How many of them had the vaccine? Yes. A lot of these have had the vaccine. All right. Now, guess what, though? Look at how high the new daily cases are in Missouri. You see this spike over here at yeah. the end? See how it's zooming up? Yeah. Now, is that cause to panic? That's the real issue. Let's go down here. Look at the deaths. It's not spiking up. It's flattening out. Look at the daily deaths. It dropped out. Do you see these numbers? Do you see these numbers on here? Yeah. It's look, I'm looking at when I scan through July 8th, there were four people. July 5th, there were three people. Seven people, six people, four people, two people. Compared to February of 16. Yes. You know, the last reported death we have in, in was on July 12th. That's exactly the opposite of what you would say. What you would say is the but, way. But the hospitalizations are up. Now, here's where that comes from. But why? Yes. But also there, we have the, the treatments. We have the treatments for this virus now, too. You have, you have hospitalizations, but the true death rate is very, very low in Missouri right now, even though it has been around for six or eight weeks. There's not been a, even though there was a peak, how long ago, and there may be a slight peak in, in two weeks, but there's not been the peak, it dropped out. That was weird. And it dropped out because how can you explain that 40, that almost at least 50% of the people had no double vaccinations. Probably 40, 
at least 50% probably had no vaccinations. And yet those people aren't dropping like flies. There's no 1% death rate. Remember, if you've got... Uh, so let's see the deaths. Let's see that graph for deaths. Real okay, quick. look, let, let, let's look at... Look, look at all right, look, our cases a week, two weeks ago, our cases in, in um, let's just talk about June, June 23rd. That was over three weeks ago, 871 cases. You'd be expecting at least eight deaths a day, right. probably more at one out of 100, right? Right. Okay, one out of 100, you'd have one, eight to 12 to 15 a day at a 1% death rate. For quote quote day. Okay, I see. This. Let's see that death graph real quick. Okay, Again, now look at looks this. Death no, not graph. that graph, but the the this, other one, the line graph. Here it is. Not look, that far. No, the other one. I want to see the one that says that's showing a increase right here. Total deaths. Now you see how this is flat lined out. It's not spurring up. Look at total deaths. Do you see any spur up here going no. upward? No. All right. Now I want you to look at this. Total cases, there is a little kick. You see a little kick from when the yes. wave hits. You see that kick, that that upward curve up. They're just looking at. I got it. Okay, so I'm understanding. Okay. So, so to now, kind of, yeah, right. So, so now, we're, we're, so basically, what we're seeing is that the case, cases are going to keep going up. The death rate's going to go down. How are people going to say we've had enough? We don't want any more vaccines, especially when they're pushing it. That polio is the way to do it. Here's the thing. A lot of these people have actually already had exposure. Now, one of the things I want to recommend to people, and I'm going to show them this today so that they can understand how much of the Missouri population didn't drop like flies. If that same virus that was in Missouri went through North Korea, it would kill, there would be many, many expected deaths, many, many. And the, the death rate would be one to two or maybe even one to two percent, maybe more in North Korea. And uh, it would be an uh, unacceptably high. The death rate in uh, the current death rate is less than probably for the last three or four days and is less than probably. Let's look at the last three or four days. July 12th is the last death death I've got. So as a person listening to this podcast, especially with what the number one rated uh, COVID-19 podcasts in the world. When people listen to this vaccine show, COVID-19 vaccine shows, what should we do? Here's what you should do. If you're a physician or medical professional, you were called on to protect the health of your community. You're called on to advocate for your patient population. You need to advocate for oral live vaccines for coronavirus. That's the rational thing to do. And that's the right thing to do. You know, look, I got right here. And I want to explain something to you. This contains live coronavirus. However, the average person put out about a whole 1,000 cc's, more than 1,000 cc's of saliva every day. They were swallowing that, and it had live virus in it. Are you going to do it now, Mark? Yeah, let's just do or it then right we'll get, get the screen off. We got to see the full picture of you. Okay, all right. Take the screen back. 
Can you, can you? Yeah, I can do that. I'll do that for you. Okay. Oh my gosh, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to see uh, Dr. Mark Hayden swallow live virus of COVID-19 right here, here on the COVID-19 vaccine show. So you have to check out the YouTube. We're going to be pushing this out on my videos as well on Facebook and everything. Let's see him do it. Okay. First of all, where, where this, this came from a donor. It was donated to somebody who was a medical professional. And this was a highly transmissible variant that infected most of the people that it was exposed to very rapidly. It was recently acquired. One of the things is they lose their shelf life. And at any rate, we won't, won't get into too many details. But I already took this 10 days ago. And when I took it 10 days ago in a small amount in an enteric capsule, I didn't even get diarrhea. I had no stomach upset whatsoever. Now, what that proves is, is that low dose, at least in my case, low dose live vaccine is extremely well tolerated. So it, when you were in the prior waves of pandemic, you remember we had food and you might've eaten a cracker Look, you had a cracker yeah, and people gave you a cracker at a restaurant or you bought one from a takeout. Yes. Guess what? They breathed some coronavirus on it. And this is going to be about 100 times more than what you got on. It, OK. OK, that's about 100 times more probably than what you got on. It. However, that is much, much lower than what the, the people are exhaling in their own mouth. Okay. The amount of saliva that they're getting is a thousand fold. So. My dose here is about one thousandth of what a regular person would get if they had it in their mouth. OK, but it's also about a thousand times, probably more hundreds, many fold. OK, we want to see this. Get. This is the guy. See this. He is just swallowed the, the, the virus. He has just swallowed COVID-19 and also the Delta virus. He has just swallowed. Well, it's a high, highly transmissible variant. High, we didn't highly, identify which transmissible variant it is, but it came out of a community. Actually, it came out of Kentucky, and these people got it while they picked it up in Kentucky, hit the whole whole group of people. But now we're going to put some in some water, okay? Okay. And for interest, and what this is to show an educational thing, and you're not allowed to do any of this. No, this is you're not, only... you're not a medical professional and you're not licensed. So I'm gonna put this on my TikTok as well, yeah. Dr. Hayden. Sure. Yes, I'm gonna put this on the TikTok as well. Absolutely. Okay. So okay. this contains live virus, yeah, the of the highly transmissible variant. Right. And uh, now now watch this. All across America, all across Missouri, people are drinking highly transmissible variant. They're eating highly transmissible variant. They're, they have already been exposed, most of them, and most of them aren't even getting GI side effects. They were protected in large part because in prior waves, they were eating takeout and food and water, right. and it got, got everywhere. So they were developing immunity all along and from all intestinal exposure. And they didn't know it. So probably, okay, so ladies and gentlemen, we just saw this. He has just swallowed live virus on the COVID-19 vaccine show with now, Neil you're not, Haley. You're, 
If you're not a medical professional, you're not licensed. Don't do it. No, no, don't do it. That's a great point. That's, yes. that's a, yeah. If you're not a medical professional and you're not licensed, now for medical professionals and other people, I want to tell you some of the risk. Let's say I had high dose, very, very high dose antigen and live virus in my mouth. If I went and snored, there's a possibility that I could take snoring would vibrate and dry out turn it to a powder, and I could inhale it. I asked the CDC to, to write a warning about snoring and that it could, could, you could actually contaminate your lungs from having it in your mouth. But what actually happens is 99% of the time, people just swallow it down and they're not COVID positive in their mouth. So if you test me an hour from now or three hours from now, I will not be coronavirus positive because I swallow my saliva. I wash it out. Now, if I had an active pulmonary infection going on, I would be breathing it back up to my mouth and my mouth would stay positive. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, anyway, I've had it on my cracker. I've had it in my water. And we are going to finish up because this is how that show goes. So the last thing you always say, Dr. Hayden, as we really have one of the most interesting COVID-19 vaccine shows is go ahead and close it out. When you look at all the people in Missouri, who are not dying. That's wonderful. I mean, that's something to thank God for. None of the people, well, almost, it's a fair statement to say almost all of the people that actually contacted coronavirus did so accidentally, right? right. Missouri people don't just go around huffing and, and sucking down uh, coronavirus just to prove they can. Now, I actually went and tested my immunity again to the new highly transmissible variant. I was around somebody. I inhaled for two or three hours right around it while they talked. I can do that because I'm a medical professional and I know what my immunity is. You don't know what your immunity is. And if you tried to do some of the same things, you could wind up very, very sick if you inhaled, if you inhaled. So the things I do, you should not do. Now, do people in the community accidentally drink it? When the World Health Organization said coronavirus is, is safe on your food, it's only generally dangerous if you inhale. That's ac accurate. The beauty of it is that by taking it intestinally, you can, you can produce an immunity that will protect your lungs. And that's the same story that we said, that I've said for over a year. This is, my, my tune really hasn't changed that the intestinal path is the path to protection for your lungs. That yeah. if you don't get coronavirus in your lungs, you don't get, get bad sick. That story is consistent, is true. What we need as a society and as a country is to have live coronavirus and immunize those people that have never been exposed and offer that to them. Now, if somebody said, hey, guess what? I'm going to have a capsule you swallow, or I'm going to put it in water. And see, here's the difference between me and the CDC. When the CDC goes out to Africa and they go with a needle to inject some poor tribal arm, and, and guess what? I can go out to the tribe and say, hey, look, I'm going to put this on my mouth. I'm going to put it on my cracker. I'm going to swallow some for you. I can do it over and over. Yeah, and it's going to happen. So absolutely. It's, it's much more convincing. And, you know, the best way to prove something's not poisonous is to drink it. Right. 
All right. So, Dr. Mark, best place. Again, we go to antivirusair.com, but also your YouTube channel, but all the social media channels and check you out, especially like, subscribe to COVID-19 Vaccine Show. Share it with your friends because this is the only information that's coming out that's not conspiracy. This is straight from the truth. Yeah. This is not, This is about a vaccine. It's not about the World Health Organization. This is not a like world uh, conspiracy show. This yeah. is straight scientific that the best option is not an intramuscular vaccine. It's an that's oral right. vaccine. And that's but, why Dr. Hayden does this show. And so close us out with your favorite part you like to say. Yeah. My days are numbered. I knew that when I started out, that many of the things I said would not be welcome. I knew I would not get rich. But you do ultimately what you do because it's the right thing. Physicians in their community should stand up for principles of health, even when that's unpopular. Physicians in their community should advocate for good health and good health policy. You can't push that off onto some politicians up in Washington or your capital. If you're a physician, think about your family, your friends. You're supposed to be the good shepherd. Lead your sheep. Protect your sheep. And as always, many of the things I seem to do were, were dangerous, but they really weren't dangerous. The amount of virus that I took was always a small fraction of what somebody experienced during an actual infection. And yet it achieved immunity for me and I actually had it growing in my colon and documented. I didn't take unnecessary risk with my life. Now, anytime you do anything, you have to comply with the local laws, la-di-da. But laws are, are interpreted for political reasons. I can't protect you from political harm if you're a physician, if you stand up for principles of truth. And, and that is what, what, what you know. But let me tell you what guides me. My days are numbered. And I need to make every day count. If you're a person in the community, don't live in fear. Learn all you can about coronavirus. Encourage your physician to learn about coronavirus and ask for simple solutions that are safe. Don't let technology be hijacked by for-profit companies. And don't let control of technology be to bureaucrats that are lobbied by these for-profit companies. Exactly. That's wrong. Right. And, you know, do not go into blame game where you're blaming China or Asia or even CDC research. Instead, say, guess what? There's a problem. How do we do deal with it? Okay. And how do we live without fear? Anybody who wants you to live in fear is trying maybe trying to control you. You don't need to be paranoid. Uh, I haven't been paranoid. And guess what? I'm still alive. I I. You know, I probably have the strongest immunity in the in, in, in one, I probably have one of the strongest immunities in the in the country. I have been around patients that have exhaled live virus repeatedly last year, this year. And you're You've fine. not seeing that. But the day is coming. You know, guess what? The day is coming when you will see a physician not wear a mask around 
live coronavirus patients. I do that because I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. When your physician knows what he's doing, he can take off his mask when he takes care of a coronavirus patient. Okay. And that, my friend, is a great improvement. That's where we need to be as physicians. We need to pull off the mask. We need to be show our face. Mm-hmm. We need to be carrying people that say, not wearing a mask. Here I am. I'm exposed. But guess what? I'm immune. Okay. Right. All right. So that was, the COVID, that, that was the COVID-19 vaccine show, guys. Take care. Make sure you share it. Like it. Appreciate it. Dr. Hayden, take care. Thank you.